0: How many times in history has it been said that things will never be the same again? I mean, McDonald's, it's a little goofy, but that was a complete culture shift and change, wasn't it? Kentucky Fried Chicken, not not for me, it's all right. Starbucks has ruined my budget. It has changed everything about how I plan meetings and where I study. The incredible moments of technology being invented. Something that we take for granted today is carrying around this little pocket-sized computer where back in the day, it took dozens of women plugging things in to get you onto the right number. Great historical moments like Abe Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. or, 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 or Thomas Edison. Tragic moments in our history. Hitler comes on the scene. Pearl Harbor is attacked, 9-11, the tsunami in Japan. I mean, mean, just those are moments where in history you can see it said time and time again, this has changed everything, we will never be the same again, This, this changes everything, right? But there's actually only one moment that has changed all of history, and it's that moment where Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that is what is most important. It's not most important that we entertain you. It's not most important that we put on a good show. It's not most important that we have, have lights and actual live trees for now. We'll see if they're still alive tomorrow. That's not important. What's most important is, is, is that we continue to proclaim what is, what Paul calls the most important thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll start reading in verse 1, and, and then this, this is what Paul says. This is a great chapter, by the way. If, you, if you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to encourage you to, to read this, get into this, start studying this, because this is the chapter that talks about the resurrection and how important it is. This is the chapter that talks about how important the, the, the resurrection, how life-changing it is, and how, how it has changed everything. And Paul begins talking to this Corinthian church, which is a messed up group of people, just like Us, he says, This now I would remind you, my brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, also what I received that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul is saying to this church in Corinth, I want you to know what is most important. And what is most important is the message of the gospel. Now, any of you who have ever heard anything about churches in the past, you're going to be familiar with that word gospel, because that, that's kind of a churchy word, right? Well, actually, in history, gospel wasn't a church word. It wasn't a spiritual word. It was, it was a word used in in Greek military so, so imagine for me a moment, you're, you're living in a, a town or a village and, and you are being surrounded by the enemy on the outskirts. And so you know at some point they're coming in and they're going to conquer you and they're, they're cutting off your supply lines. They're making sure that you, you can't escape and you can't get any goods in. You, you are looking at the future and it doesn't look good. And so a general would leave your city, your town, your village with his soldiers and he would go engage the enemy and the battle would ensue and that general would have victory over the enemy. Now the problem is is that the general couldn't come back to town with all of his soldiers in in a speedy fashion, so instead what he would do is he would send a gospel messenger, someone who is bringing good news to people, and he would run into your town, and he would cry out for everybody to hear, I've got good news, we no longer have to fear. We're at peace. We don't have to worry what's hiding around the corner. We're going to be provided for. We don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. The war is over. Peace is here. That's what the gospel is. The gospel in the the, the realm of church is the declaration of that good news. That peace is here. The war is over. And what Paul says is we, we, we look at the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we recognize that gospel message. And so, so it is, it's very simple. What is the gospel message? I'll, I'll lay it out for you. Just, just right here, he says this in verse 3. This is what I received. It's of first importance. Christ died for our sins. So the very first point is this. Jesus died. I mean, we all know that, right? We're all familiar enough with the story of Jesus to know that, that one of his own, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, we, we know that, that what ends up happening is, is Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers have, have come to arrest him. We know the story of good old Peter, who's just Peter. And for those of you who don't know, Peter is going to give me the biggest noogie in heaven, because I mock him ridiculously, because he's me. He's such a fool. So Peter's like, I got this, and he can't even get the guy. He misses and cuts off the guy's ear. And Jesus is like, put your sword away. I mean, you can feel that in Jesus. And, I, and I'm sure Jesus was like, okay, we're going to go in peace. But the other part of Jesus had to be, why even try, Peter? And he picks up the ear of the servant, Malchus, and he puts it back on him. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is taken away to trial. Peter follows at a distance. Good old Peter, same guy, right? And he follows at a distance, and you know that Peter stands outside as Jesus is being tried, and he is approached by three different people. Hey, wait, you're, 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 you're the, you are with Jesus. You're were with Jesus. You're one of them. I am not. A few moments or hours may pass. Wait a minute. Did I see you with Jesus? Absolutely not. And then a little girl approaches him. Little servant girl. Wait. Aren't you a Galilean? Aren't aren't, aren't you with Jesus? I'm telling you, I don't know the man. And he storms off. You know that Jesus was beaten. But he was flogged. You know that Jesus had a crown of thorns placed on his head, and he was mocked by the soldiers who placed it there as they bowed before him and said, Oh, hail, King of the Jews! <laughs> you know that Jesus was led down the street carrying the crossbeam of his own crucifixion instrument as the crowd spit on him and mocked him more. You know that Jesus made it to the place of the skull, Golgotha, this this cliff formation that that as you stood back and looked at it, it kind of looked like it could be the shape of a skull. And as they reached the top of it, they laid him out, they took spikes and they drove them through his wrists and through his feet. And then he he was lifted up on his cross and crowds gathered, not because they were mourning, crowds gathered to do what? Mock him more. Oh, you came to save us, but you can't save yourself. And you know the the words of Jesus on the cross, some of which were Father, forgive these people. Because they don't know what they're doing. Did you pray that? You were in that situation? You know, Jesus later cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know that at the end he cried out in this pathetic whisper, one word, for us it's three, for him it's one. Telestai. See, tetelestai means it is finished. It means paid in full. When when you were a debtor you went and received services, you were given a bill and that bill had a list of what you owed and when you paid it in full they would write across the top of it tetelestai, paid in full. Your debt has been canceled. Those were the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. But he didn't just die. We're told he died for our sins. Romans 5, I'll start reading in verse 6. He says this While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, even though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for our sins. in accordance with the scriptures. We know that Jesus Christ died, we know that Jesus Christ was buried, and I'm, gonna, I'm certainly gonna talk more about that in a little bit later in the message here, but, but Jesus Christ was buried, just like any other man, he was put into a tomb. But let me ask you this, what if that was it? What if the story ended there? He died, he was buried. What, what if the story was done there? How can a man save me if he's dead? How could the man who promised me eternal life give it to me while he's dead? How how does that that go together? How can I have confidence that God and I are good with each other? How can I have full confidence that that God and I are are on the same terms, that God views me with acceptance in his eyes if I don't have that receipt? Romans, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 19, Paul says this, if that's true, if Jesus Christ was just killed and was just buried and it stops there, then verse 19 says, then if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're we're pathetic. We have no hope. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead. But... He's risen, but he is risen. And what Paul says is this is most important. Yes, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and then on the third day he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus is alive. So Jesus being risen does something, it changes everything. It's no longer no hope, it's no longer pity, it's no longer pathetic, it now is, 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 is hope, it's, 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 it's life-changing, it's, it's overwhelming. Okay, Frank, so let me, let me ask you this then, sure. So Jesus is alive. Prove it. All right, well, there's actually three witnesses to Jesus' resurrection that are listed in what I just read. So, so let me just kind of go through them. The first witness, the most powerful witness, the, the most important witness is the witness of Scripture. He says this a couple of times, right? Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What is that talking about? Well, what you need to understand, again, and I mentioned this Friday night, this, this book, this Bible is God's inspired word, in inerrant in all that it talks about. It's not a mishmash of stories thrown together so that we can make little kids feel guilty in Sunday school. It's not even a, a moral book where we're supposed to teach our little kids great moral lessons like David and Goliath. You be like David. You go slay the big bully in the playground. Not a good plan because that's not what this teaches. What this is is a full collection of God's word that points to a single Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that Savior is pointed to throughout all of Scripture. You see it in all of the the ritualistic type things that happen, all the offerings, all the sacrifices that occur throughout Leviticus and Numbers, which are your favorite books of the Bible. I know all of you have your life verse in Leviticus. I know it. So so you see it all there, it all points forward to a sacrifice that would come, a sacrifice that would be more complete, a sacrifice that would bring final forgiveness of sin. But even more than that, even much more specific than that, all of these prophecies point forward to Jesus and Jesus alone. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Prophecies that start back in Genesis chapter 38, even further back than that, but, but the one I'll talk about, Genesis 38, where it says Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come from the tribe of Judah. Prophecies that talk about Micah 5 2. He would be born in Bethlehem. Now, for us, I was thinking about this this morning. It's funny. Bethlehem in our, we've glorified Bethlehem a little bit. Bethlehem is like, I don't know, Vegas or something. You know how many people lived in Bethlehem? The same amount that live currently in Union Bridge. Not a huge metropolis. Unless I'm missing something in Union Bridge. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Isaiah 35 says he's going to live a life and do miracles. Zechariah 9 says at some point he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. In Zechariah 11 it says he's going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Not 29, not 28, not 31, not 32, for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53 says he's going to be beaten and pierced for our sins. Psalm 16 says he will not see corruption or decay in the grave because he ain't going to be there that long. All of these prophecies, 300 prophecies, point forward to the one Messiah, Jesus Christ. All right, Frank, okay, thanks. That's wonderful, that's great, but I'm sure that there's some luck involved with that. Well, let's talk about chance for a moment. This is not my work, this is the work of a mathematician. He figured it out. I love it. It really paints the picture for me because I am a picture-visual-oriented person. So here you go. Let's take the, 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 the landmass that includes Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. Can I get that in your head there? Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. Right? You take that landmass, and now what you need to do is you need to go get a lot of silver dollars. Like enough silver dollars to cover that landmass two feet deep. With silver dollars. And if you have that many silver dollars, talk to me after the service. I'd like to have a conversation. (laughs) Cover the land with two feet deep silver dollars. Now in the process, at some random, no appointed time, just random moments, like now, you're going to pick up one of the silver dollars and you're going to paint it red and you're going to toss it in the pile with the rest of them. Now you're going to take a man who is blindfolded and bring him to Washington, D.C. and load him up on the biggest catapult you can find. You're going to launch that man off the catapult into the midst of Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, somewhere in there into the middle of all those silver dollars, blindfolded, and when he lands, his instruction is, you got one shot, don't mess this up. Reach down, pick up a silver dollar. The chances of that man picking up the red silver dollar, mathematically speaking, are one in 10 to the 15th power. One in 10 that has 15 zeros after it. Not good odds, right? The odds of one man just so happens to fulfill all 300 prophecies in the Old Testament is 1 in 10 to the 165th power. You have a better chance of the whole silver dollar thing going right for you. See, scripture just continues to to beat the drum over and over and over again. There is one coming, there is one coming, and it's not Moses, and it's not Joshua, and it's not David, and it's not Daniel. Then how are we supposed to know who it is? This is how Romans 1 verse 4 says this. Uh, uh, Let me start in verse 3. Concerning his son who was a descendant from David according to the flesh, and his son, Jesus Christ, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, how? By his resurrection from the dead. That drum continues to get beat and it continues to point to one and only one, Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. So one of the witnesses to the resurrection is that, the fact that Jesus uh, fulfills all the prophecy of scripture. Another one, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but is the witness of the empty tomb. I mean, okay, so when they buried Jesus, there were witnesses to where they buried Jesus, the ladies were said to have been there and seen where they, they, they laid his body. The soldiers were posted outside of the tomb. And so there was no question as to where Jesus was. So the, the argument had been, oh, Jesus didn't rise. They just went to the wrong grave. Well, if that's true, and Christianity explodes after this point, all you need to do is do what? Produce the body. Produce the body. Christianity doesn't continue to explode without a risen savior. But the tomb's empty. The other witness is the witness of the witnesses. The witness of the witnesses. I went through this list and I'll read it again here in in verse 4. Oh, sorry, verse 5. It says, he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. He appeared to the, the 12 of the apostles, the disciples. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James. Then he appeared to the rest of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to Paul. And he says, what you need to understand is this resurrected Jesus appeared to a number of people. And so, so there's some, I mean, some general ones. I mean, he talks about the 500. He appeared to 500 believers at one time. And I love the way that he says, he's like, listen, they, they're all still alive. I mean, some of them are dead, but most of them are still alive. So you can go validate the story. Well, wait, hold on a second. But, but you know, they all had uh, uh, hallucinations. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, even if 500 people had a hallucination, it ain't the same hallucination. You're going to get some wacky stories when you start comparing notes. But Paul says, no, they're alive. You go talk to those people. You start asking them. And what you're going to find is a consistent story over and over again that Jesus is risen. So he talks about the, the testimony of the 500. He, he, he talks about the, um, oh, let's see. Let's go with Cephas first. He goes with Peter. Peter. Remember Peter? I was talking about him before. Yeah. Peter, the dude who could not stand in front of a little girl and confess the name of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, Peter becomes the most outspoken disciple. Peter becomes the one who preaches in front of thousands. Peter becomes the one who stands in front of the religious authorities and says, bring it. Because this is truth. And no matter what you say, you're not going to change my mind. You can arrest me, you can beat me, you can throw me in jail. We don't care. Jesus is risen so so what explains that sudden turn in 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 peter's life well what explains that sudden turn in peter's life is the appearance of the resurrected jesus christ confirming that jesus is who he said he was what about james james you you may not know this james wrote a book of the bible he absolutely did but before that he was better known as jesus little brother how would you like that you go through high school with a big brother and they always compare you to him poor James can't even go to a wedding. Hey, we're out of wine. What can you do, man? I mean, there's dude, dude's got nothing. He's got no chance. Poor James. So James, obviously, so, so, so Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus, but, but afterwards she did have other children. You can see that in Mark chapter three and John chapter seven, it talks about Mary's other children. She wasn't a perpetual virgin as, as some belief uh, systems would teach. And so some of those, those children, it's funny, and I think it's the John chapter 7, one. his brothers think he has, Jesus has lost his mind. They're like, they're, they're, okay, we hear what he's preaching, we hear what he's saying, but I, I think our brother has lost his mind. So, so James, Mark 3 says J, the brothers and sisters did not believe Jesus' report that he was the son of God. So even his own siblings didn't believe. Any, okay, as younger siblings, you get that. I mean, it would be a little difficult, but, but, but they didn't believe it. They refused to believe it. What in the world would change James' mind to the point where he would write one of the books, one of the most loved books of the New Testament. An appearance of the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. Probably the one that's most surprising is this. He appeared to Paul. And the way Paul says it is, is perfect, so I'm just going to read it. He appeared to me, verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. I am unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. What else? could explain the fact that the person who hated the church of Christ more than any other person, the one who wanted to to be done with Jesus Christ, to be done with his followers, to, to destroy the church, I mean, he had received permission to travel, to arrest men and women, to bring them back and then vote on the death penalty for these people for following Jesus Christ. He believed Jesus Christ and the belief in Jesus Christ was a heresy. And then suddenly on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus appears to him. What else could explain the the greatest critic, the, the, the most aggressive persecutor of the Church of Christ becoming its number one of all time missionary? But the resurrected Jesus Christ. The resurrection changes everything. What does it change for you? What does it change for you? It changes this it means you can know that you have been forgiven. Um, what do I need to be forgiven of? Your sins. I'm not a sinner. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying your, your wife talked to me or anything, but <laughs> let's, let's just do this. did this a few weeks ago, or months ago. This is, let's look at just the Ten Commandments. Can we agree the Ten Commandments are God's holy moral code for us? I mean, a perfect person or a non-sinful person would follow, let's, let's call it eight out of ten. Number ten, don't covet you ever wanted what other people have love that car love that motorcycle especially on a day like today somebody's got a motorcycle (laughs) (laughs) number nine don't bear false witness you ever said anything that wasn't true about another person number eight don't steal i've never stolen good so you're on facebook at work what's that Sorry. (laughs) Don't be unfaithful. (laughs) Don't be unfaithful to your spouse. Don't murder. Nailed those two, right? No. As Jesus tells us, unfaithfulness to your spouse is when you look at another with lust in your heart. That murder is when you hate another person. Number five, I should just skip number five because you all nailed this one. Honor mom and dad. <laughs> Some kids are hanging their head in shame right now. Mother's Day's coming. You can make it up to her. Number four, honor the Sabbath day. Go a week without resting. Hmm. Number three, don't use God's name in vain. I, I, I love this one because it's like, so you get Christians, you're like, absolutely, I hate when people use God's name in vain. <gasps> careful. Because to use God's name in vain doesn't mean to use it as a swear word. It means to use it in an empty way. It means to stand like this on a Sunday morning and sing songs about God while you're looking around at everybody else. Number two, don't have idols. Cool, I have no idols in my backyard. An idol is something that you lose sleep over. An idol is something you spend your money on more than anything else. An idol is something that, that causes you un, unbelievable emotion when you lose it or even you think about losing it. An idol is what you spend your time daydreaming about. I have no other God beside me. Unfortunately, I think we're our own gods. So, eight out of 10, anybody? Don't you dare raise your hand. Oh, I didn't think about that one, man. People were like, what? (laughs) Liar! (laughs) Resurrection. Resurrection communicates to us that we can be forgiven of our sins. The resurrection tells us that Jesus absorbed your penalty when he died on the cross for your sins. And that when he went to the grave and took your sins with him, And then he rose again from the dead. It means that his payment for your sins was enough. It means his payment for your sins was accepted by God. So the resurrection changes everything. You can live in full confidence that you can have your sins forgiven. If you would simply receive Jesus. How would I do that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) There's no special prayer. There's, There's no magic mantra. Receiving Jesus simply means relying on him for your peace with God. It means seeing him as he is, the son of God who came to die for my sins and who has who risen from the dead and who lives eternally. It's resting in his finished work for you, not trying to do anything yourself, but, trying to under, but understanding that it's in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That you have salvation. It, yeah, We have prayers that we, we, okay, you just follow me in this prayer. And, and I told you, I am praying that there are men and women here this morning who don't know Jesus. who This is the day they cross from death to life. And so, okay, let me, let me just make sure that I paint this picture clear for you right now, okay? When we're done, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a couple more songs. In that time, we're going to have folks over here. There's a room up here. We're going to have folks over here in this prayer room who are going to be willing to pray with you. Now, let me be clear you leaving your seat and walking the aisle and meeting with one of them is not you getting saved. You leaving your seat and walking an aisle and talking to somebody is not you getting saved. You coming to Christ actually happens in the moment you choose to leave your seat because what's happened in your heart, you're saying, I'm in. I don't care who sees it. I want Jesus because he's the only one that can cover my sins. He's the only one where forgiveness is found. He's the one that gives me eternal life. That's where salvation is. You coming up here to talk to somebody or coming to one of the kneelers to pray, that's simply trying to find people who will support you. This is finding people who will come alongside you and befriend you, who will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, who will follow up with you not because like, oh, we didn't see you in church today. No, they want to follow up with you because they love you and they want to see what's best for you and they want to make sure you understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Not a list of rules, but a list of graces that you get to experience. So, so the resurrection changes everything. We can know that we have been forgiven. We can be confident that before God, we're accepted. We can live in confidence that God loves me. He demonstrated his love for me in this, that Christ Jesus died for my sins. So I know Jesus uh, that God loves me, but you can live in confidence and know that God likes you. God likes you. He accepts you. He knows your bad days. Who are you trying to kid? But what he sees is not your failure, he sees Jesus' righteousness. So you can live in confidence knowing that that God accepts you. Too many times we communicate that Jesus died for our sins so that you could feel bad about your sins. Now Jesus died for your sins so you could be forever set free from your sins. And so that's what we celebrate when Jesus comes from the grave. It's, a, it's an understanding that we can now know that our sins are forgiven. It's an understanding that we can live confidently in, in knowing that God accepts us for who we are because of who Jesus is. And then we can be sure that we are going to end up more than okay. We can be completely confident that, that throughout all of time, even the ups and the downs and the, the crazy turns and the crazy roller coaster that life is, those moments where we can't see what's left or right, we have no idea what's going on, and those, those moments where it doesn't make any sense to us, we can know that Jesus Christ lives. And someday, so will we. Someday, we'll be in all of and heaven with him and for all of eternity, eyeball to eyeball, face to face. And it's not, I think sometimes for us, we're like, oh heaven, yay, I get to sit Indian style, crisscross applesauce and sing hymns. Oh no, man. What we have this morning in some of the songs that we're singing is just a tiny fraction of a glimpse of the joy that's gonna occur when we spend forever with Jesus. We can be confident in that. We can be confident because the resurrection actually shows us the future. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, oh, death, where is your sting? See, the future is revealed to us in the finished work of Jesus Christ as he is risen from the dead. That sin dies, Jesus lives. That's what we celebrate today. May we have a heart that is filled with confidence and encouragement. And if you don't know Christ, may today be the day. Let's pray to God. Father God, I thank you for Jesus' finished work. Lord, I'm grateful and thankful for the folks who are sitting here this morning. I'm thankful for those who have known you for such a long time. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts today with the truth of the resurrection. May they be encouraged to know that their sins are forgiven, that that they're accepted in your sight, and that someday soon they'll see you face to face and sin will be put to death and they will live forever. And then God, I do, I pray for the people who are here this morning who are wrestling with their own souls. Holy Spirit, would you continue to draw them? Would you uh, convict their hearts? Would you remind them of who Jesus is and how good he is? And Lord, I pray for the one who's wrestling with their soul now that that they might even cry out in their hearts that you are who you said you are. That that you are the son of God who came to bring abundant life. That you are the son of God who laid down on the cross to to bear the weight of their sin. That you rose from the grave to prove that we are forever justified. God, that one who's, who's wrestling in their heart, may they come to know Jesus right now. And Lord, would they have the courage and boldness to tell somebody, even even if they don't come forward, Lord, would they tell a friend or tell somebody here at Uniontown, Lord, would you, would you, Lord, I just pray that they would open their mouth, not because we need numbers, we don't need numbers, we wanna celebrate with them like the angels celebrate when one comes to know Christ. So God, may we celebrate well. Amen.